0: Um, There are a variety of ways that people have invested to be reconciling the systemic nature of things that if we can make it more mainstream,
1: we can make some real change here. Hello, and welcome to Let's Get to Work, a new podcast series from Rediff Workshop. Redef Workshop is built exclusively to help employment social enterprises grow their businesses and increase their impact. And we're excited to create new ways to connect the social enterprise field with inspiring talks that cover the issues we face today. We created this podcast to feature conversations with thought leaders and innovators who are making a difference in our communities and to challenge us to think creatively and differently about the ways in which we can achieve success through employment social enterprise. Our kickoff episode features Redef's President and CEO, Carla Javits, in conversation with Rodney Foxworth, Executive Director of Bale, the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies. They discuss some interesting concepts, such as restorative investing and ecosystem accelerators, and Rodney shares his personal journey and what really drives and motivates him in leading an organization trying to create local economies that work for all. We hope you enjoy our first episode, and let's get to work.
2: So Rodney, thank you so much for doing this. So maybe they probably would like it if I started with please let us know who you are and what you do. That's
0: right, that's right, yeah. So I'm Rodney Foxworth, the Executive Director of the Business Alliance for Local Living Economies, otherwise known as Bali. And so we've been around for about 18 years, working Mm -hmm. with communities to build more inclusive and equitable um, local economies, really grounded on alternative forms of business and entrepreneurship, including employment social enterprise.
2: Wonderful. Uh, well, I was especially interested. You know, you moved out here uh, to Oakland from Baltimore to take on the leadership of this organization. And I know you were already doing some really exciting work in Baltimore. So I was just curious why did you take on the leadership and where are you hoping to take the organization?
0: Yeah, leaving Baltimore, I'm a lifelong Baltimorean. It's my city, it's my home, and it's still mm-hmm. deeply with me. Um, and really, the opportunity was too fantastic uh, to turn up, uh, to turn down. Um, and I was actually a Bali Fellow myself. And so, just for context, okay. we have two primary um, programs in which we advance our work. So, we have an 18 month fellowship program that engages local community leaders that are advancing uh, ecosystems that really strive to have more inclusive. Um, and equitable participation in the local economy. And then we have a second program that's really working with foundation leaders um, uh, to help them really focus in on moving their capital off of traditional Wall Street-type mm-hmm. investment and actually invest in the sort of things that Red F mm-hmm. um, and your portfolio of partners are really strive toward. And so being a part of that fellowship community uh, mm-hmm. was really powerful. Mm-hmm. Um There are 101 Bali Fellows across the U.S. and Canada now. We've worked with about 50 foundation leaders across the U.S. and Canada as well, um, and have helped to really mobilize well over $100 million um, in local investment activity that goes into cooperative enterprise, minority businesses, and those sort of things.
2: Yeah. Uh so when you but you made a decision to run the organization mm-hmm. so obviously you are excited about some of the things that it does but you know kind of what's your what's your vision of where you wanna you know where you hope to take it
0: so my big hope and the the ambition that we have is really to mobilize capital into the communities in which our fellows and foundation leaders uh, work in and so mm-hmm. across our different programs we're in about fifty communities um, in our network And so what we really want to be able to do is demonstrate that there are ways for philanthropy, investment, community development finance, venture capital, all sorts of forms of investment to really be directed into places um, and leaders. That really are equipping communities with economic empowerment opportunities, right? Whether that's an employment social enterprise, whether that's a cooperatively owned business, whether that is, um, you know, a land trust that allows for individuals to have accessible mm-hmm. and affordable um, accommodations and, and housing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the grand ambition and the reason why I wanted the job and was because we have this fantastic solutions network. Mm-hmm. And quite f- few people understand the depth of ingenuity and brilliance that's happening, um, particularly in this work, right? Mm-hmm. And so one big thing is for us to really be able to grow the capacity of these communities and individuals that are really driving phenomenal change, but really providing a large spotlight on the work Mm -hmm. and really modeling and inspiring other places and communities to do the same, impacting policy, impacting the way business leaders operate, for example, two things that we've done in the last uh, two years um, since I've come on board, mm. we've we call them ecosystem accelerators. Mm. And so we've worked with um, in Little Rock and in Chattanooga, yeah. we've organized community stakeholders in economic development and entrepreneurship and community organizing and philanthropy impact investing to really focus in and understand what are some of the most promising, opportunities and methods that are coming out of the Bali mm-hmm. network that could be applicable in those communities. Mm-hmm. And so really helping to organize and orchestrate um, the capacities, places to adapt and adapt the things that come out of our network. And so we really want to mm-hmm. be able to sort of accelerate um, the ability of communities to really adapt what we're doing.
2: Well, as an example, can you you know, take us another <laughs> kind of level down and maybe those examples, you know, something you see at the community level that maybe wasn't getting much mm-hmm. air or much help that now through, you know, the work you're doing, you're trying to get some attention to it, some resources flowing mm-hmm. can give us give us a little flavor on that.
0: So a few different examples um, just to, to demonstrate the kind of the power of the network. Um, and the ambition of the network, uh, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the Runway Project. Mm-hmm. And so the Runway Project was developed by Jessica Norwood, who was a 2014 Bali Fellow. Mm-hmm. She identified that the friends and family gap for African American entrepreneurs in terms of the wealth gap um, was a tremendous barrier to creating new business, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so, and for folks who don't know this, you know, and these are not the exact stats, but mm-hmm. um, anywhere, depending on where you're looking, you know uh the, the median household wealth for white americans is somewhere in about $140,000 mm-hmm. compared to about 11,000 for african american households. Mm-hmm. Um and there's also data that indicates that if we continue with the current economic trajectory by 2053 african american median household wealth will drop to zero. Very shocking. very shocking statistics um and i'm hopeful because of the work that's happening through um, our network at Bali, organizations like Red F, that we won't get to that point. Right. Um, at the same time, Jessica identified this as a significant challenge. Yeah. You know, um, Kauffman Foundation uh, suggests that it costs at least $30,000 to start a new business in the mm-hmm. U.S. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're have, if you an African-American household and you have $11,000, mm-hmm. um, how are you going to get the rest of those resources? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so... What Jessica was able to do was create the Runway Project. She really did a lot of thought partnership uh, with other Bali leaders um, mm-hmm. and developed a partnership with uh, Self-Help Credit Union mm-hmm. to create a sort of equity-like product. It's a certificate of deposit mm-hmm. in which individuals invest in that CD, mm-hmm. and that CD is then able to invest in black-owned businesses in the Bay Area, particularly in East Bay. Um, And one of the things that's so great about it is this is an effort that's really driven by women of color. Um, And so it demonstrates, again, the ingenuity and brilliance and innovation that's happening. So that's one example. Mm. So that's happening in East Bay, but it's growing into different communities. Um, Another example, Deborah Fries, who uh, was a part of the Investor Circle Program at Bali. Mm -hmm. She's based in Boston. She has the Boston Impact Initiative. And so she recognizes the privilege that she has and the opportunities that she's had to be able to be a high net worth individual, an entrepreneur. And she's been on this journey. Uh, she identified the racial wealth gap as a significant challenge in Boston. Um, We're in Boston, uh, the median household wealth for African-Americans is $8 today. So she developed a charitable loan product that allows for anyone to invest. Um, you don't have to be an accredited investor. Um, but what she's been able to do is really define what risk looks like. And so the wealthiest individuals who invest, um into her product, they're the ones that actually bear the most risk. Mm-hmm. And so low-income, low-wealth individuals that have been able to get some savings into it, if something goes south, they're protected. And so it's a different way of looking about investing. And so this is something that a lot of people are starting to... Um, try to model, and so we've been working with Deborah. we've been going around the country and supporting her in different kind of communities to adopt. She actually uh, was one of the uh, sort of faculty, faculty, as it were, uh, for our program in Chattanooga this past year.
2: It's really uh, very exciting to hear. Uh, I guess maybe turning to, to something on a, on a more personal front, mm-hmm. um, you know, can you share with us maybe a little bit, I mean, why did you come to this work? This is this is path-breaking work that you're doing, but it's like it's at the intersection, in a sense, of you know business and what we've thought of as the social sector, mm-hmm. and that's a unique uh, space to inhabit, I guess. And I'm wondering, you know, what kind of, what, you, what brought you there personally, and was there maybe somebody in your life who influenced you, and you know maybe what you took from that.
0: Yes, and it's so it's, it's 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 sort of unfortunate in so many ways that we have to think about business and social change as being separate. Um and so I think mm-hmm. it's unfortunate and I think there's been a lot of shifting over the years mm-hmm. to get us to that point. Mm-hmm. Um and mm-hmm. you want to look at particularly communities of color as an African American and looking at the history of African Americans, business and social change were very much intertwined. Mm-hmm. You know, you began a business to affect positive change in your Great community, point. create jobs, create wealth, local wealth, to allow for individuals to get educated. And so mm-hmm. I think a lot of it for me has been the historical context that I have been able to benefit from mm-hmm. on the plus side. And you noted that I'm from Baltimore. So the, the mm-hmm. reality of it is I also grew up in and I'm in of a place in Baltimore that I think really um, is an example of what happens when you have things like economic uh, dislocation, when you have Mm post-industrialization, when you have mass incarceration happening. I know that's something that Red Mm -hmm. F is very uh, diligent Mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. And so I grew up in a place in which I could see the tremendous potential of individuals and there was very little capacity for investment mm-hmm. um, into those individuals, into the ideas as business owners, as entrepreneurs, and so that impacted me tremendously. And to be able to be in a position where I'm able to affect and influence how mm-hmm. uh, how capital is invested into to these uh, folks, particularly um, under-resourced communities of color is something that is deeply profound for me. And as as many people, um, I was deeply impacted by my family, their mm-hmm. commitment to just being um dutiful community community leaders. Um and so I've been really blessed to be able to have an opportunity. And as you know, um to be an African American male, uh to run an organization the size of Bali as a nonprofit profit is, is a pretty um that's the word I'm looking for. It's 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 unlikely, unfortunately, mm-hmm. when you look at the data and statistics. So mm-hmm. um, I take that also very seriously about mm-hmm. what is my role as someone that grew up black and working class from a place mm-hmm. like Baltimore to really be in a position to affect the kind of change that I can work alongside these brilliant leaders to make.
2: Yeah, uh, really exciting to hear that. I guess um, I'm wondering, you know, your uh, you, you wrote a blog uh, recently that I think was really uh, sort of challenging the community of people who do impact investing or investing of any kind to do what you called restorative investing. It was really uh, exciting. Uh, and I guess maybe first can you explain just a little bit about you know, what that is and how you see that as maybe different from traditional mechanisms that have been used for change?
0: So I've, I've been a, um, a, a gentle critic of impact investing because I actually um, am a, a big believer in innovating for mm-hmm. change. Um, and I think that impact investing has to, a tremendous capacity um, for making change. One of the things that I think we have to reconcile, particularly as we think about investing in particular, um, is that economies and wealth that's accrued that significant wealth gap that I pointed mm-hmm. out in terms of uh, white households and African American households that wasn't a naturally occurring mm-hmm. event mm-hmm. <laughs> those things did not happen naturally there were policy deci- policies decisions that were made and and so as an example I, I, I like to give the fact that for my own mm-hmm. household um, working poor working class my grandfather fought in Korea Purple Heart um, but because he was African American, he was denied the GI benefits that were accrued to him. I, I
2: don't. I think there's many Americans who probably don't are not That's aware right. of that.
0: That millions of African American servicemen and their families um, were denied the benefits uh, afforded to them um, through the GI Bill Act that simultaneously helped build mm-hmm. uh, the white middle class in the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just one example. And mm-hmm. We could talk about a number, a host of other examples. Mm-hmm. Um, there was actually a data point that came out of Brookings from um, Dr. Andre Perry recently that mm-hmm. indicates that African-American uh, communities in terms of real estate are undervalued by, I think, $153 mm-hmm. billion. Mm-hmm. And so, so mm-hmm. I, I provide that context because... The whole idea of doing well by doing good sounds great. Mm-hmm. Sounds great. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the same time, we have to reconcile with these moral debts that have accrued. These mm-hmm. moral debts that have accrued, and they're not just moral debts; they're purely economic debts as mm-hmm. well. And so, the idea of restorative investing mm-hmm. versus, say, impact investing is to first acknowledge what those gaps are, what mm-hmm. those systemic structures have been. How does investment continue to per- per- perpetuate? Those sort of things as well, um, and then really be mindful of it and create different ways of investing. Um, and again, I say different, and I should say non-mainstream, um, because if you look into you know native communities, if you look into African American communities, look at communities of color, um, there are a variety of ways that people have invested to be more of a recon- reconciling uh, sort of. Um, the systemic nature of things Mm -hmm. that if we can make it more mainstream um we can make some real change here and I think Mm -hmm. reconciling with those those sort of things the history that's happening the things that are occurring today um to make it a lot easier for RIDF and for our fellows at Bali to be able to do the things that they need to do.
2: Yeah. So on a practical level, how mm-hmm. would restorative investing? I'm an investor. I want to do restorative investing. I want to think about that. What What is it? What am I thinking about? How is that different from yeah. what I might do otherwise?
0: So I I, I like to say so. I, I, again, Runway Project and the work that Deborah Freeze is doing in Boston are two examples of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for Deborah, it's a simple thing. It, it, and it's a small thing, but it actually means a lot. Mm-hmm. When she is, when she develops a fund that allows anyone to invest in it, and if you're low wealth and something goes wrong, you're protected because the person with the most mm-hmm. uh, most wealth is actually the one likely to be able to have the most risk tolerance, mm-hmm. rather than again looking at this low wealth individual um, and, and the same equal accordance as this wealthier individual. So that's a small mm-hmm. step to really protect. The risk mm-hmm. um, for a low wealth individual, for Jessica Norwood, and developing um, the Runway Project to really have a product, a financial product that recognized the mm-hmm. equity gap for African American entrepreneurs. So, those are two examples of very think real. And there's are active opportunities for people to invest in, mm-hmm. right? Um, Thousand Carrots is doing great work mm-hmm. as well in this area, where they've really s- created sort of a financial commons that allows for, rather than the investor having the most power and making all of the decisions on terms, it's actually done in concert with investees. Mm-hmm. And there's a relationship mm-hmm. building, um, a proximity to each other to recognize that capital is not king, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's actually, uh, we should be prioritizing people and mm-hmm. planet. And so I think those, so those are three actual opportunities for individuals to invest in. Mm-hmm. Thousand Currents has an impact fund that doesn't operate as an impact fund, it's really restorative investing, mm-hmm. um, Runway Project um, is, is, is is raising money. Um, the Boston Impact Initiative is also raising money as well, so there are opportunities for folks to invest into.
2: Yeah, I mean, you're and you've laid out a pretty explicit challenge, and I think it's it's uh, you know clear by that response that you know some this is about giving up some things, mm. right? Uh, so in this example, you know maybe a wealthier individual is taking greater risk. So they're giving up some protection from risk disproportionately, mm-hmm. maybe, to people who, as you as you say, you know, can't really afford to take right. on that kind of risk, which makes makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a hard equation. I mean, as you well know, I mean, we, we are as human beings not terribly uh, excited <laughs> to to, to, uh, to give something up that you know, uh, if we don't have to, I guess. And so, I mean, I guess I just wonder as you're out making this case, um, it sounds like one thing you're trying to do is essentially, uh, uh, you know, make make kind of a a reasoned case for it and then demonstrating that there are opportunities Mm -hmm. to do this and to to do it effectively and do it well. And that that makes eminent good sense. I guess I just wonder as you're... uh, you're engaging, or your network is engaging with others, and really trying to penetrate and have this influence. What do you, you know? What are the what are the best arguments, or what you know? It, those of us, perhaps, in the employment social enterprise field, or others who want to be allies to that kind of thinking, ha, you know, what are the what are the uh, arguments that we make?
0: You know, it's it's. Uh, thank you for that question. It's I mean, it's a challenging conversation to have, yeah. even with individuals that are of the most well-intent. Mm -hmm. And uh, a couple of things that I think about in terms of setting the stage and in Mm -hmm. the conversation. So I I told you about that. I pointed Mm -hmm. out that data point about African-American median household wealth dropping Mm -hmm. to zero if economic trajectory continues Mm -hmm. by 2053. Between 2040 and 2050, the United States is projected to become a majority people of color nation. Mm We typically look at these dynamics and say, wow, that's a challenging problem for African-Americans or Latinos or mm-hmm. other communities of color. The reality is, what will the United States economy look like when the majority of people in the nation mm-hmm. have negative net worth? Mm-hmm. If I'm a business owner, if I'm a long-term investor, if I'm someone thinking about the future of my grandchildren, mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking mm-hmm. about the, the prospects of livelihood. And again, this is not that far away,
2: Mm
0: -hmm. right? Um, Then we have to really reconsider that we're actually the question Mm -hmm. around giving something up when I don't have to. Mm -hmm. The reality is, (laughs) we're all going to be impacted. Mm -hmm. It won't just be African Americans, Mm -hmm. it won't just be Latinos, Mm -hmm. it won't just be communities of color. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Unfortunately, those communities will will be the most adversely impacted, of Mm -hmm. course. And so, that's one thing I'd like to kind of illustrate is that we're all going to be impacted. You've, if, you've, if you're looking at 25 years down the road, 15 years down the road, you've got to calculate these dynamics in our economy. Um, the other thing I like to think about, and to, I like to tell people, um, is to frame what we think about as risk and giving up. So I'm going to say something that's pretty provocative, mm-hmm. and, and so hopefully your mm-hmm. your audience will appreciate this. I, I've begun to begin saying that venture capital, at least the, the industry of venture capital, Um, is a bit like philanthropy for white men and so let me explain Um, so in the United States about 85 billion dollars per year gets invested into the venture capital space Mm. and what we also know is that 73% of venture-backed businesses are founded and owned exclusively by white men Mm. we also know that less than 75% of venture-backed companies actually return capital to its investors. Not a profit, but return the capital that was invested. At least 25% of them fail to return capital. Mm -hmm. And yet, we continue to go down this road. Right? There's no consideration about maybe we need to change venture capital. Mm -hmm. And when I'm looking at that, I look at the vast amount of opportunities that have been under-realized because of that approach. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, Hope Credit Union in Jackson, Mississippi. Mm -hmm. Bill Bynum, the CEO there, says that mm-hmm. they have a 3% default rate. 3%. And he's investing in the most challenging, by traditional standards, challenging communities in the Delta, mm-hmm. communities of color, 3% default rate. And from, our, from the perspective of mainstream investment, it's really challenging to invest in Jackson Mississippi. Mm-hmm. However, we are comfortable with a 75% failure rate Uh, for majority white men in the venture capital space. And so one of the things I'd like to sort of challenge folks to think about is it's actually lost opportunity. You actually have a better chance (laughs) of success Mm -hmm. by investing into these communities Mm -hmm. um, rather than simply investing into things that um, you might believe will work out, mm-hmm. um, but there's really op- actually opportunity in places like Jackson, Cincinnati, all these communities that are overlooked. And so those are two ways I like to like articulate mm-hmm. to people to get them to really think. It's, it's a lot of provocation, um, but it's also true. <laughs>
2: yeah. the I think that's really interesting. I mean, it's thinking differently about the whole risk-reward mm-hmm. equation, And, you know, it reminds me during when the uh, big downturn happened in 2008. uh, The finding later was that the uh, entities, the institutions that had invested more heavily in the social sector versus the institutions that had traditional kind of investing philosophies, the ones invested in the social sector actually did better.
0: That's right.
2: than, than those that had been more traditionally in investing in is women, similar, yeah,
0: investing in entrepreneurs of color, same data. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'd like to point out is that, um, so the figure around 85 billion for venture capital per year states and uh, municipalities in the US give out in tax benefits over 90 billion dollars per year for businesses to move from state to state, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Um, so we just saw uh, Amazon and H2Q, which is really h 23 3 I guess. H mm-hmm. 3 <laughs> um, and so that's a lot of expense that goes into mm-hmm. these sort of, a lot of investment. Now imagine, instead, if governments invested a hundred million dollars per year in employment social enterprises, mm-hmm. right? And that's the kind of future, you know, that organizations like Bali, our network, our Mm -hmm. folks are really striving toward. It's really challenging our preconceived notions of what good investment looks like at the end of the day. Yeah,
2: yeah. You've put together a really uh, impressive coalition through Bali. A lot of people who are, uh, you know, as you said, women of color who are leading this, uh, people of color, uh, people from low-income communities who are concerned about race and class and, you know, kind of restorative uh, investing, as you're saying. Uh, And I guess I'm wondering for the employment social enterprise community that we deal with, The people I meet who lead these organizations are extremely concerned about the same set of issues. I mean, it's really what what we're focused on. Uh, And yet, you know, I think we don't see enough leadership by people of color within our uh, organizations and I think uh, people are looking for new ways to really Uh, engage the beneficiaries so that they have more of a voice and uh, and thinking about alternate uh, ownership structures and things like that over time so that as you said it's not just income that changes but it's actually capital uh... you know the changes i guess i just yeah kind of words of wisdom or you know your thoughts on how this community of employment social enterprises uh... can uh, you know, can open up and can, uh, I guess, uh, advance uh, greater equity in this country?
0: Well, first, I mean, the fact that employment and social enterprises exists is one effort. Yeah, it, it's, <laughs> it's part you, of it, it's clearly, of effort, in and of right? itself. In and of itself, right. right. In and of itself, because when you're looking at the conditions, particularly, and you know, I mean, my, a lot of my background came from um, working with uh, tremendous social enterprise organizations like Humanum in Baltimore yes. um, and creating inclusive and equitable job opportunities and yep. down the line wealth so opportunities. Right. And, and so I think one of the things, and Humanum is actually a great example of this. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to go outside the Bali community mm-hmm. to give, cite an example. Humanum is a white-led institution. Mm-hmm. Um, they're about a $50 million a year mm-hmm. not-for-profit mm-hmm. focused on human services. Mm-hmm. What they've been able to do, though, is leverage their social capital mm-hmm. to build the capacity for, for mm-hmm. example, minority-owned businesses, mm-hmm. right, to really support this um, mm-hmm. ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's mutually beneficial. They're looking to place individuals in employment, if they support a thriving business mm-hmm. uh, that's African-American-owned, that is willing to hire. Yeah. Not only willing to, but for example, the, the example I'm thinking of, this business was founded by individuals that had been in prison, mm-hmm. Right. Um, and so they not only were willing to do it, they wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the capacity for a lot of the institutions that you're talking about is sort of incubators mm-hmm. and um, really leveraging their institutional capacity mm-hmm. to support the growth of some of these enterprises. I think the one of the biggest challenges, to your point, um, in terms of having a more inclusive and equitable social uh, enterprise sector, particularly around employment, um, the same challenges that are faced uh, for a small business, African-American business owner in terms of getting capital is the same. Mm-hmm. It's is actually just as difficult, if not more so, mm-hmm. for these employment social enterprise mm-hmm. operators. And so having institutions that have demonstrated some level of success to be able to be partners, to drive procurement opportunities, mm-hmm. to really think about supply chain opportunities, mm-hmm. these are a lot of things that we're seeing in the Bali network, for example. Mm-hmm. right? Leveraging institutional capacity to provide procurement opportunities for individuals of color from low wealth backgrounds to really be able to thrive as entrepreneurs and small business owners. So I think the, the the employment social enterprise community can learn a lot from that. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, again, we're open to having more and more dialogue, and actually mm-hmm. we want to have those dialogues, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and to be able to support. And fascinating enough, mm-hmm. and when I look at um, some of the work that's happening in Boston with um, Deborah Fries, but also Aaron Tanaka, who's a Bali Fellow, um, the Center for Economic Democracy, and his, uh the Boston Ujima Project, a lot of the businesses that I'm working with are, in fact, Employment social enterprises, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so um, run by folks of color. Mm-hmm. Um, not oftentimes not not for profit, um, but for profit mm-hmm. employment social enterprises. Yes. So I think there's uh, there's a lot of opportunity, opportunity there. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think great. you know I think yeah. there's a lot of opportunity there because the impetus mm-hmm. I believe is to start a for profit,
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which is great. That's mm-hmm. diversity, and so I think really need putting the putting those communities together mm-hmm. um, is is. I think a welcome
2: challenge, quite frankly. Terrific. Uh, Just a couple more. Uh, So, uh, I guess I'm wondering, you know, uh, your uh, challenge that you're trying to take on, uh, you're emphasizing race and for obvious reasons, given the statistics that you've (laughs) quoted. And, uh, you know, that's, um, uh, it makes a lot of sense. I guess I'm wondering there are also issues clearly that you're dealing with that have to do just essentially with economics, mm-hmm. and obviously there are segments of the white community who have also right. experienced disinvestment, uh, no job prospects, very low wealth, generations of no wealth, you know things like that. And I guess I'm just wondering within your network, you know, how do you see that? you know what's happening around that or what's interesting instructive about
0: absolutely so one of the things I and, and and you know so talking about race is really important it's not the only thing that we do right. um, it's really important within an American context in particular um, and yet we are for example our current our, our fifth cohort of fellows um, is focused on rural communities hmm. um, and so about a h- half are people of color and indigenous hmm. um, but we have a particular focus um, on rural communities. About twenty-five percent of our network represents rural oh, that's, communities, that's nice. um, and, and so you're going to f- sort of folks in Appalachia, mm. and folks in the middle country, mm. people in the South, mm. you know, um, Little Rock, Arkansas, mm. Chattanooga, mm. Um, and so I, I bring this up to say that it's not exclusively a question about race; mm-hmm. um, it's a question of economic justice mm-hmm. or in or injustice, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and. Communities of color, rural, and indigenous are among the most mm. economically exploited mm. um, in this country, and so there's a lot to be shared there. Mm. Um, and so particularly for our the folks in our foundation program, a lot of them work in communities that are almost exclusively white and rural, mm. Mm. Um, or small towns and, and, and white. Mm. and face the same sort of challenges mm-hmm. minus the race question mm-hmm. right they're see- they're seeing what happens when a business that employed so many people in a small town mm-hmm. closes
2: mm-hmm.
0: right what are the opportunities there mm-hmm. what do you do as a community foundation mm-hmm. when two of your biggest employers are no longer available mm-hmm. you know how do you generate economic activity that's inclusive of you know individuals who might not have gone to college you know who may have been working class or middle class for some time but don't have generational wealth mm. um, to support them so these are a lot of these are questions that are alive across our network so it's not limited to communities of color um, so that's a great point of emphasis and I think one of the beauties about the Bali network is that we really are focused on the most economically marginalized communities mm-hmm. whatever race mm-hmm. or, 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 or region mm-hmm. Um and of course, those dynamics become different when you bring in the race into the equation. Yes.
2: Yeah.
0: And so, what I'm really particularly, um, even for myself as a development as a leader, most of my work across my career, actually exclusively my work across my career, has been focused on urban communities, mm-hmm. uh, urban communities of color. Mm-hmm one of the reasons I'm really excited about this opportunity was to be able to do work in places that I had quite frankly not thought about where mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I had preconceived notions about mm-hmm. and so the reason I bring that up is because mm-hmm. one of the beauties of the Bali network is that it is so diverse mm-hmm. um, diverse region diverse in terms of people of color and you know race and ethnicity, political perspective as well mm-hmm. uh, we set the stage for folks who are libertarian to have conversations with socialists <laughs> you know literally right i mean um and so and i think that is the beauty of having this network focus yeah. to really build relationship between people that can identify what they have more in common mm-hmm. than uh, they have that differentiates mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. and so that's what really gets me excited mm-hmm. about it mm-hmm. uh, so we're really thrilled to be able to work with really extraordinary people no matter where they are mm-hmm. and within the context of their local community
2: um, second to last, uh, what would have been the hardest things about taking on this job so far, and the best?
0: Yeah. Well, one of the most difficult things is that so we're we're really we're really pushing at the edge, mm-hmm. right? And you know we've had this conversation where after all these years, people are still thinking, "What's the employment social enterprise <laughs> as a foundation? How do I support that?" You know, all these years later. So that's the most challenging thing, mm-hmm. is that mm-hmm. people, f- for all sorts of reasons, think there are only particular ways of making change. Mm-hmm. The only way, for example, for you know um, Queens, New York to revitalize and have job opportunities is by handing mm-hmm. out billions of dollars to Amazon. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. the only way to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is the most difficult thing, mm-hmm. to be able to challenge yet educate and be a steward and supporter of individuals, communities, and institutions that are really stuck in paradigms that haven't been working Mm -hmm. for decades. One could argue they never did uh, because Mm -hmm. they've been only leading to inequality and we can go through that whole laundry list. We can go through the whole list. It, it worked for some people, and it, a few people, and then it mm-hmm. worked for everyone. Mm-hmm. So that has been the most difficult mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. It does, but that's the work. Mm-hmm. That really is the work. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, we oftentimes forget that... Having phenomenal programs, we need to do that. Mm-hmm. But really, it's about changing minds mm-hmm. and ideas, mm-hmm. creating new ideas that can penetrate mm-hmm. and resonate with people, so yeah. they can shift behavior.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, that's, so that, but that's the challenge, and that's the work. And I know that you know mm-hmm. <laughs> all about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, the most the most exciting thing has been able to work with the most outstanding innovators that I've ever. I left a place um, in Baltimore that I had dedicated my professional and personal livelihood to. Um, because of the brilliant innovators in the Bali Network, mm-hmm. um, I get to wake up every day um, knowing that my job is to help resource and advance the work of people like Jessica Norwood, people mm-hmm. like Aaron Tanaka, Deborah Fries. Oh, this is a wonderful array. I mean, there's 101 fellows. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and within that, no, not within, but even beyond that, even more leaders that work alongside those leaders that I get the opportunity mm-hmm. to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's deeply inspirational. Mm-hmm. And it, it gives me a sense of renewed optimism and hope mm-hmm. that things can change. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have to. Mm-hmm. But I believe oftentimes, what I, one of the things I get from foundations and investors, Rodney, you keep telling me that things can change, but where are the opportunities to do that? Mm-hmm. Well, here's 101. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Here 101. Make Here real. are 50 mm-hmm. communities right. they can invest in. There, there's no shortage of working models and ideas and mm-hmm. ways of doing this work. Um, it's a question of changing beliefs. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, one thing that's been exciting, at least from my perspective, watching your... you have a position of leadership and you have influence. And as you're saying, this is, you know, in part about changing people's kind of minds and hearts. Uh, and to do that, you have to articulate a different vision. Certainly uh, opportunities then to execute on that, what you're doing. But I think even just conceptually, just what you've put out there with this idea of restorative investing, it, it it's a framework, it's a way to begin a conversation that I think does sort of challenge what the norms are mm-hmm. uh, in a different way. And I, I think the um, argument you were making earlier about thinking about risk and reward differently, I mean, we I think at Rediff early on we made that argument sort of around this notion of social return on investment. But in a way, you're taking that to, the, to a different level to say, uh, no, more broadly, uh, it's, a, it's a whole different equation around what risk and reward mm-hmm. are. And so, you know, just I think that just articulating it at some point, it challenges people to begin to think about what they're doing differently. And I think that's powerful.
0: And, and I think it's the most important thing because and, and even your point about, I mean, RIDF, you know, if not for RIDF, um, I don't know, you know, as a longtime admirer of the work that was happening at Red F that inspired me to think differently. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I can just think about, you know, 10 years ago when I'm working mm-hmm. at uh, a workforce development institution mm-hmm. and seeing what was going on at Red F and saying, there's a different way of us doing this. Mm-hmm. It's really important for people to understand that ideas are important and we mm-hmm. all, and, we, and the actions, you know, restorative investing is a concept you know I didn't invent that in isolation mm-hmm. or invented it really at all. I mean it was this you know mm-hmm. think about uh, particularly women of color like Amaka Agbo who's here and who's in Oakland um, and her and her work around restorative economics and
2: mm-hmm. alpha mm-hmm. Dimash
0: and and, uh, and and thinking about rising tide, capital. there's this this is what happens when you have an exchange of ideas mm-hmm. um, that then things start to click. And you Mm -hmm. can inspire and motivate and figure out new ways of doing things. And quite frankly, this has always been the case, Mm -hmm. particularly in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't always so that we accepted Mm -hmm. inequality in the Mm -hmm. way that we accept it today. Mm -hmm. Those were ideas Mm -hmm. that began to happen Mm -hmm. in Chicago school, and I mean, there's a whole history. And so, Mm -hmm. it's possible for us to
2: think about it differently. differently. Yeah, (laughs) absolutely. yeah, and I think it's exciting. I mean, as you said, you know, a lot of these concepts we exchange with each other, we learn from each other, and in a way that is the base of Bali's activity, mm-hmm. is to bring together these different kinds of networks so they can expose one another to the concepts and, and try to promote right. them. Uh, so maybe just to wrap uh, a uh, last question, you know, it's five years from now, or take your time horizon that you want, you know, what's the what's the New York Times headline that... On Bali, uh, where you feel like we've really we've mm-hmm. really a- achieved what I came here to to get going.
0: Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to make it as practice. We're thinking about headlines, right? Yeah. So I mentioned before, 85 billion dollars annually invested to venture capital. Um, most of that actually doesn't uh, return capital. Donor advised yeah. funds, 110 billion dollars under management now today. Okay. So what I would like to see five years from now. Mm-hmm. It's ambitious, but I'd like to the headline in New York Times being Bali and its community of leaders mobilize 50 billion Mm dollars into local, inclusive, equitable economies Mm -hmm. because the money is there. Mm -hmm. (laughs) There's no shortage of money. Mm -hmm. It's about how to prioritize and invest it. And so that's the headline that I'm looking for.
2: Okay, I'm gonna keep my subscription to the New York Times alive. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm gonna hope to be reading that five years from now. Thank you so much, Rodney, really appreciate it.
1: Thanks everybody for listening to Let's Get to Work. To access all of our content and resources to help you grow your business and increase the impact of your employment social enterprise, head over to redfworkshop.org. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider leaving us a rating and subscribing they will help new listeners discover the show. Stay tuned for a new episode next month. Until then, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time.